0: Welcome to this special episode of the Attacking Scrum podcast. This is an interview that we did a few weeks ago with the former Ospreys, Dragons, and Wales outside half Sam Davis. Uh, really good to catch up with Sam. He was on very, very honest form. And in this interview, we talk about his next venture, so where he's likely to be playing his rugby next season. We also talk about his latest venture as uh, as the creator of a gin brand, uh, Tokavida. Which is uh, well worth well worth checking out. I've got a bottle of that um, sat on my sideboard, which I've been enjoying uh, of late. And uh, we also talk about what it's been like to play uh, over this last season in uh, what what is an ever increasingly mad uh, season, even by Welsh rugby standards. So all of that is to come in this episode. And uh, of course, we're technically on our summer break at the moment, although Wales players keep retiring or getting kicked out of the squad. So. Uh, there may be some specials uh, around the corner so make sure you stay subscribed to the attacking scrum on apple Podcasts, spotify uh, sports social or wherever you get your podcasts and if you've enjoyed it then please leave us a review that's always really really helpful Um, and again one more plug for sam's uh, gin brand if you are a gin fan and you fancy giving it a try uh, then make sure you google Vida, which is t-o-c-a-v-i-d-a and uh, yeah you can get uh, get some Top quality gin uh, via their website. Uh, so yeah, we'll be back um, at some point soon. Um, uh, in the meantime, enjoy this episode with Sam Davis.
1: They want more. They want the try. They know they've got the penalty. They're going to give it a go on a drop goal. Davis with the He's got goal. It. a drop goal. Sam Davis, a joining for
0: that earlier penalty goal and immediately Ben blows final whistle. Welcome to a very special edition of the Attacking Scrum podcast. Uh, it may be the closed season, but one man who's keeping himself very, very busy, I'm delighted to say joining us for the first time on the Attacking Scrum is Wales' former Ospreys and Dragons fly half, Sam
1: Davis. How are you, Sam? Yeah, no, I'm good, thank you. Um, I think you've just uh, alluded to it there. I'm pretty... Pretty busy. Uh, a lot of aspects of my life are busy. Um, normally, off seasons are time for a bit of uh, a bit of relaxing and uh, switching off, but that's certainly not the case at the moment.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously, it's been a it's been a hell of a season for you, as for many players uh, playing their trade in Wales over the last twelve months. And we're going to get into that in a um, in a moment. But we um, just saying that things looking looking promising in terms of uh, in terms of having a, a side lined up for next season.
1: Yeah, so um, yeah, I'll be changing. Yeah, obviously changing teams, leaving the Dragons. I think everyone well aware of that, and moving out to France. Um, yeah, to take up a playing opportunity in France, which is really exciting for me. Um, it's going to be a massive change in cultures, with the language and maybe the way of playing. But I think I'll suit that that style, and I'm really looking forward to you know trying everything, including the food. Um, you know, I, I, I've started the language. And it's a very tough one to pick up at this age. I can assure you of that. Mm. Um, but yeah, just just everything really. You know, I've I've done the whole whale scene. I've been in the Ospreys for what like nine years, and then the Dragons for four. So I think it's time for me to kind of just step out of my comfort zone now and really go and explore the world, if you like. And you know, France is the first on on that list. Um, so yeah, exciting times.
0: Yeah, really exciting. Look forward to uh, yeah, look forward to hearing more about that soon. Just wanted to touch on that then because you actually said that something that's really interesting and we've had players say this to us before is, you know, the opportunity to experience a new culture and a different style of rugby and so many things that playing abroad can bring. Uh, I suppose, has it, it been a bit frustrating that, you know, up until now, perhaps that hasn't been an option, you know, because you, you harboured hopes of, hopes of playing for Wales and the 60 cap rule and all those things?
1: Yeah, I think you know. Without looking back too much, there was there's been like opportunities to maybe go elsewhere. Um, but I've just been stuck in contract, which yeah, maybe, maybe hasn't fallen in my favor. Um, you know, I tried. There was an opportunity to go to Bath uh, a couple of years back, which would have been a great opportunity for me to take up, but it just fell when I was in contract, and at the time I wasn't allowed to be released, and so it's always been something that has been in the back of my mind going to explore something new. And I think just the way the game is in Wales at the moment, I don't, it's not really appealing to stay, stay put. Um, there was an option for me to stay and go to Cardiff, but look, I, I want to go and experience something else. I want to experience something new. Um, and you know, what better way to do it than to go into a different country, um, a complete different league. I've been playing in the same league since I was a professional rugby player. So since I was 18, um, and, yeah, I just felt France is the perfect, you know, place to do that. So I'm a lot more settled now, like I'm getting married in July in America. So, you know, I'll have a wife with me there and my two dogs. Um, And then, you know, who knows where we go from there. It's just, you know, the world's kind of your oyster then. But in terms of getting out there and exploring it, I think the time is right for me.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, you, you know, you mentioned there that it's been... Yeah, you know, he's been in the the Welsh club scene, the the Goldfish Bowl, as it were, for a, for a long time. And this season, more than any, has been strange, even by Welsh rugby standards. How how difficult has it been for you and the other players with so much uncertainty around?
1: Yeah, you know, I think the tough part is we. Well, personally, I just think kind of used to it in Wales. Um, you know, I think it started back when. There was talks when I was at the Ospreys of the Ospreys Scarlet merger. You know how that would have worked. I just it just baffles me. I was, you know, two biggest two of the biggest Royals in Wales joining together. Um, and then one day we we were folding. The next day we were back. And then there was more money troubles the year after. So when it came around, it was like, oh well, here we go again. Um, we've been through this. We're going through it. it and but you know what you don't realize is is. A lot of people, you know, will, are out of jobs because of it. And I suppose that's the tough part. And thankfully for myself, I've been able to find, you know, something out in France and, yeah, I'll be able to move on. But there's a lot of players, a lot of good players as well, who that's not going to be the case for. And it's a real tough situation for for them boys to be in. And somebody's got to take control of the situation and because it seems that no one's willing to do so. Everyone's kind of just allowing four regions to keep surviving, not really be competitive. Just, you know, we look at the bottom half of the table every season, then, you know, there's 90% chance you'll see the four Welsh regions on the bottom half. Um, But yeah, like I said, I don't, just don't feel like anyone's controlling it. And that comes at the expense of the players because inevitably they're the ones that are going to have to, like this year, go into, you know, a couple of the boys that I know are now going into carpentry jobs yeah. or, you know, they're looking for real work and, you know, for it to happen so suddenly, it's just quite sad. And yeah, you know, don't get me wrong. I think as players, we have the responsibility to to have trades maybe or to, you know, to have something as a second option for ourselves. But it's just the way in which it's kind of done. It's like so instant. It's like halfway through the season, all this trouble starts to come in and then bang, like, you know, right, sorry, that group of players, you're gone. Like, go, go into the real world. Um some of them with about a month or two notice, and that's just unacceptable from my, from my, you know, my point of view. Um, but yeah, so you know, like I, te- I alluded to, it, it's great to, for me to begin out of Wales. But in terms of what happens for the future now in Wales, it's, it just seems to be like a game of survival for the, for all the regions.
0: Yeah, and you know, I think we all know that rugby finances aren't in good shape. Not just in Wales, you know, we you see the trouble with with London Irish and Wor- Worcester and Wasps and everything. But I think you you hit the nail on the head. There is this was not something. This is not something new. You know, you can see this coming. Like you said, it's happened in the past. Um, we've had COVID on top of it. Everyone knows the the problems that there's that there that there was coming and the that, that kind of you know. Um, the belt had to be tightened a bit in terms of finances but for it to be like so late in the day you know mm. whether it was that you know, the the this potential strike ahead of the england game that was late february you know that yeah. that must have had a huge impact on um on on everyone playing the game
1: yeah and i think the frustration lay in i think the wru were holding a little bit of money back to, to some project uh i forget the exact name of it now but Essentially, it was a project to put money into the stadium to make the stadium better, you know, put new TVs and all sorts in there, which, which for this season, I think we as a players group would have liked to have seen given to the regions just to kind of, you know, so this, it didn't happen so suddenly and players weren't getting offloaded. I mean, you saw, you know, the Cardiff situation was just appalling, you know, when speaking to some of their players and they're just so in the you know they just don't know what was happening at the time you know I think they're a bit more settled now but in terms of you know for players it's been so hard to just come to terms with what's going to be happening for you the next season and until you're out of contract like I was this year it never really hits home yeah so for me you start you start to think you know I'm playing rugby at the start of the year I'm playing well and but then I'm looking at I'm looking at the the situation when you start to hear about finance issues and you're thinking, well, we've got we've signed J.J. Hanrahan on a three year deal, so he's here for the next three years. Angus has just came and he can play ten, and we've got Will Reed coming through the system as a uh, as a youngster. So where do I fit into this? And it's nothing to do with, you know, how, oh well, if how's he performing? It's coming down to finances. Like I don't fit into the finance. The, the budget then in the structure that's happening, because I'm out of contract, you know, and I think that I was told that as well. So it's not as if I could have had the best season of my life mm. and then they would they would, you know, um, kept me because financially it didn't make sense for them to keep me. So look, I, as you said at the start of the conversation, the finances, it's everywhere. It's not just Wales, um, but Me being honest, I would just want someone to take control of the situation and like lay out a clear plan because there's no plan, is there really? I mean, they say that there's a plan, but well, what is it? it, I guarantee in the next two or three years, there'll be something money, there'll be another money issue, and we'll be talking about which region's going to be getting stacked off next.
0: Yeah. And and the other thing is, you know, you've just said there, you're talking about the players of experience who are leaving the um leaving the regions at the moment. We're talking serious, you know, the, the players such as yourself, Half Penny, Patchell, Lloyd Williams, you know, lots of lots of experience leaving there, which means that there's going to be a hell of a lot of um a hell of a lot of weight placed on young players coming through the academy. Um, that in turn, you know, realistically, in terms of results, that's gonna mean we're likely to see those four sides down the bottom of the table again. And in the long run, we all know that a winning side, um, a winning side is gonna get more people through the gates. And that means more money, that's more sustainable. So just like kind of trimming off the budget every single year, you're right, you're gonna end up with one region chopped, then maybe two. Yeah. From, my, from my point of view, and I think a lot of fans would feel the same, it there feels like there's no plan. And you know mm. you're saying it as a as a player yourself. There, there's n- there's no kind of long term vision there, or certainly none that's been communicated to anyone, really.
1: No, exactly. And I think what what I personally think is the regions are all waiting for one of the other regions to go under, so then it gets taken out of the decision maker, who I don't know really who it, who that is, gets taken out of their hands. But you know the regions are still managing finding it. For, they're managing, uh, to find a way to to survive up till this point, which means it's just going to be fighting for survival. And like you said, I, it's going to be tough for the teams to get out of the bottom half of the table. I mean, look, you you touch on the Scottish model. There's only two teams. Um, mm. they used to have the Borders were there. Were yeah, there the ones. Borders,
0: the Caledonian Reds, going back even further.
1: Yeah, so it's kind of happened to them over time. Now, now, the the tough discussion is which team goes and I mean as play as we've all been sat in a room thinking well is it going to be us and I've been sat in two different teams thinking well is it us or, or it should be them it should be them but if you sit back as an outsider and look in and it's easy to do that but you'd have more competitive teams with less teams than you so my you know and that's just the truth like the last face there if there was three teams for instance they'd be more competitive than if there was four because if you spread all the talent now the two Scottish teams into four teams and then use the Premiership for the, the six team Premiership they have below it to, pull, to, to get two teams together they're not going to be as good as them two teams it's just it's you know it's very simple but then it the, the tough part comes you know and the real discussion would have to be about well which team we're going to get rid of and it's, obviously there's a lot of supporters you know that are tied into teams Etc but it it seems like there's is a is an inevitability inevitability uh sense of inevitability but inevitability I got it <laughs> about it yeah um which is sad but because of the last ten years that I've been in the game sat in these rooms and it keeps on coming round it's clearly not sustainable so I you know I, I worry but at the same time there is a way to go and there is a way to get better results but it's just when someone's willing to get get up and make the decisions but you know i wouldn't like to be that person because obviously they're going to upset a lot of people but i don't know if you want to be competitive then it's going to have to happen
0: And what about the um what about the league, Sam? You know, you've you've played in it, you know, your whole career, and it's changed. Uh, it's changed a lot during that time. Teams coming in and out. You know, what's the kind of when you're doing it on a week to week basis? What does it feel like playing in the whatever it is, the the Pro Fourteen, the URC, whatever incarnation of it? How does you know? How do you how how much did you enjoy that as a, as an experience as a player? versus yeah. you know when you when you're playing when you're playing international rugby for wales or even under 20s in you know in other scenarios
1: Um uh, yeah don't get me wrong i like the league i like the league structure etc um you you get to travel a lot and i think you get you get you get to see beautiful parts of the world and especially now that south african teams have come in um it's been amazing to do all that um and i really enjoyed it um in terms of uh in terms of maybe the structure of it, you know, I, I I'm not too sure to be honest. I go because it's been changing quite a lot over the last couple of years. I remember the, the two pools, and then you play against one and away. Um, look, I don't, I'm not. You're going to sit here and say I know what the best way to do any of that kind of stuff is. Um, but there's obviously one team that they like got knocked out last week, didn't they? But <laughs> as a team that's dominated it for the whole time that I've been in the league, um just there and they just seem to be untouchable going away to play against them I, my favorite games would be the derbies for obvious yeah. reasons um but then again speaking about if we were going to take the teams down to 3 or you know, if it went down to 2 you lose them derbies and only have two of them a year um but from my experience the derbies are my favorite the south african teams brought well, especially the the when when the four came in brought massive amount of competition and well, you know, they obviously went on to win it, didn't they, the Stormers last season. Um but yeah, look, I, I don't really know where to go in terms of the structure for me. It's yeah. it's something I'd like to really have a massive opinion on because I did enjoy travelling around, but my favourite games would have been like the derby games.
0: Yeah, which will be interesting when you head out to France as well, because it's such a thriving a thriving club scene across uh, you know, across two divisions, well supported, lots of rivalries and um uh yeah, it'd be a different experience again. Um let's just take a look back then if we if we can at the the last four years, you know, spent four years um with the dragons. How do you kind of look back on on that time that you spent in Newport?
1: Yeah, well, really positively. The I think the move Initially, it was a real good move from the Ospreys to the Dragons. Um, so I think, and was it the first year we got about three quarters of the way through the season, and then COVID hit. Um, and I think we, we, well, we were the highest out of all the Welsh regions at the time in the league. Um, I do think people seem to forget quite quickly um, how successful that year was. It, it was, you know, really enjoyed that year. Uh, Dean's first year as well. Mm. Um, and then second year again I think was still a fairly decent year but something to do, the fallout of covid we were in top tier of Europe and um first time in ten years I think and we had wasps were in our group right, yeah. and I remember playing at home against, against wasps our first game in Europe in ten years in the top tier we were all really excited and then nine of the boys who were playing got taken out by covid and we were just like Pfft. and um uh, I remember going into the uh into the change room before the game and looking around, I'm just thinking, I've never seen some of these boys in my life, <laughs> and we're just about to go and play against the Wasps in the for the first time. And funnily enough, Will Rowlands was playing for Wasps that day. Uh but yeah, even though that season was a bit weird with COVID, the second one, um, we had a real good finish to the season and in the in the Principality. Yeah. Um, and I we turned at Edinburgh Glasgow. We should have beaten Ulster there as well. Uh, and yeah, so that was a positive season in my eyes, to be honest. Like, you know, I still think I was playing well and really enjoyed that year. I suppose the the annoying one is the third year where, you know, everyone says it was a horrendous season. And you know, don't get me wrong. If you stand back and look at where we were in the table and how many wins we had, then I ten percent agree with you. But. I think we were really unfortunate at the start of that year. So we played the Ospreys at home and lost by four points. And we could have won. Then we played Leinster at home and lost 7-6. Could have gone either way. Then we went away to Connacht, Connacht and won with a bonus point comfortably. Came back to play against the Stormers at home and I think it had finished like 15-6. So we're playing against like three of the top teams in the Wales, well, Obviously Leinster and Stormers. And then... But we only had one result and then off I think we kind of fell off the horse then and like we lost all of our form and things weren't going right with the coaching staff and you know losing started to become a habit. And that season then people started to, you know, kind of throw stones and you know, maybe rightly so, but you know, I think at the start of the year we were maybe a couple of points off having a really good season and that's how fickle rugby is. And that's just the truth of it.
0: Yeah, it's interesting that you say that because I remember that season. Where, and you know, covering covering those games on here every week and trying to be objective about. I am I'm a Dragons fan myself, but trying to be yeah. objective about it and just saying, you know, like I think these wins are coming. I think these wins are coming. Yeah. And they and they never did. And you're right. Halfway through that season, or it, it just everything seemed to turn. And then you started to get dissenting voices coming out in the press, and it, yeah. it just seemed that things weren't very happy within the dressing room. Was that kind of was that your experience of it?
1: Yeah, yeah, no, I think it was. And like someone who was playing kind of every minute of every game, it's it's all well and good when, you know, you go in and you're new when you make an impression in that first you know, first two years. But then when the results weren't going our way and but I was there was no like let up for me because you know, I wasn't getting taken out of the team. It's like you go again, you go again, you go again and I think oh, that was tough because when you when you feel like you know you're just losing is becoming a bit of a habit sometimes i think the best thing for you for a player is that you just get pulled out so Mm. it makes you you know really want to get back in and that wasn't really a luxury that i had in the first three years um but yeah i mean certainly it, it got tough with like i said the coaching staff and the players started to become a little bit more uh aggrieved with each other and yeah, there was people who disagreed with the way we were, we were trying to play. But I think that's quite natural anyway, uh, especially when you lose. then you know, you've got players of strong opinions as well. And, yeah, I mean, but inevitably it's the guy at the top that gets the final say. And, you know, we just got to kind of listen. And if you don't, then you get you get sacked.
0: So, uh, I, well, I, th- I think that's the thing as well. You mentioned there that, you know, you were basically playing, particularly that third season, you are playing every minute of every game. Because really, I, I'm trying to think who, who the other tens were in the squad. There because it was too, it was uh, too early for worry. Oh, Josh Lewis is was there, wasn't he? he played Lewis, a lot yeah, ones, didn't he? Uh, yeah.
1: To be, he, he, he played him at fullback quite a lot. Um, I think that was it then.
0: I'm yeah. not sure if yeah. Which if you compare it to which if you compare it to last season, and you've got you know like you, as you said at the top of the show, you've got three other players in there. That's really difficult because not only from a from a physical point of view where you're having to play every minute and it's it's a miracle you didn't get injured at some point (laughs) because again you'd have had then one fit 10 in the side Um, and but mentally that must have that must have been really tricky too because you've got to manage your own game as well as you know as well as doing it in a side that's losing most weeks
1: yeah and I think that's that's when it becomes really tough is you know that season we played a lot on the back on the back foot and Oh, well, wow. I'm an out-half telling you now. It's just, it's not easy to play on the back foot. Um, so yeah, it was it was tough and physically it was demanding. But you know, I I never took a step backwards, and you know that's not something that's in my DNA. And you know, we as players, we you know we were trying. It wasn't as if we weren't trying. The games were you know there the, the was close games there which we just couldn't get a result, uh, result in and. Was it that season then, though, where we 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 went up to the scarlets and beat them towards the end, mm, and that was yeah. yeah, and that was massive for us because it had been such a hard mid-season block for us, and then for us to go and kind of beat the scarlets with a bonus point down there was just massive. But then you know we we weren't able to back that up then, so you know it became a bit just repetitive almost. You know, like I said, and I think when we losing. When you start getting on a losing role, it's like winning. I mean, you just it becomes like becomes constant, and it's not a role you want to get into. But that third season, for some reason or other, um, that's what we got into, and I think that's when a lot of people's true colors are shown, and that certainly happened.
0: Yeah, absolutely. But as you uh, as you say, you've been keeping yourself busy, not only. Uh, in terms of keeping yourself fit, you've also been launching a gin brand as well. Rather than hitting the beers, you've been creating a creating a gin uh, called Toca Vida. How did,
1: uh, how did all this come about? Yeah, so Toca Vida. So, yeah, essentially uh, Toca Vida is um, touch life in Spanish. So I'll tell you the story a bit about it now. So... My fiance came over here to study and she did a biz, uh, um, master's in international business. So I'd always ha- had this idea of kind of starting a gin or some, something like a rum or, you know, I was always aw- always being kind of keenly interested in the alcohol spirit world and I could never really get a, a story to go with it. And I'm not sure how much you know about gin and handcraft gin, but normally there's a pretty good story behind them and, you know, you put your own botanicals in, and you make this bottle, which kind of means something. Um, but I I couldn't really do that until until after I met my now fiance or soon to be wife. So when she came over, I I introduced her to gin. We went to gin and juice for just a a drink, you know, on a date, and she'd never tried it before. And I just said, "Look, try gin and tonic." like, and she was like, "What is it? You know, from America." Um. So lo and behold, she loved it. And I think it's one of her favorite drinks now. So that kind of, you know, I was, and then that got the ball rolling a little bit again in my head because I hadn't thought about it in a while. And um, Ellie was saying that she had to to do a dissertation on, you know, a business project. And I said, "Well, well, maybe, you know, we came up with the idea together that maybe she could do it on like a gin brand because I've always had this passion to do a gin and, if she you know did some studying on it and was kind of invested herself then maybe it's something that we could do and you know she did that and she obviously smashed the master's degree and um so then we had to the next part was to actually come up with our own actual business plan well she actually did the business plan (laughs) but just come up with our business ideas etc and the design which took us a while maybe just over a year but we finally came up with the design and, you know, we think we've got a really nice bottle and the Toca Vida comes from the early side of the family. So her father's Hispanic, so they speak Spanish. So we thought we'd encapsulate that into the name. Pretty t- catchy name, Toca Vida. Um, and then, yeah, we just, the, it's kind of blossomed from there. It's been a long process, but it's well worth it having the bottles in front of us now.
0: Excellent. well I'm gonna um, I'm gonna jump online and get one uh, get one after we finish speaking uh, awesome. if anyone wants to, if anyone wants to do the same Sam how uh, how do they do that
1: um well just the name of the uh, the bottle tokavida so www.tokavida.co.uk and that'll take you through to our site and our story um and pretty much everything you need to know about it but it's a citrus forward handcrafted gin so it's our own botanicals that we spent a while you know, Kind of uh, coming up with a recipe, and we think we've nailed it. So, uh,
0: yeah, you let us know how it goes. I will. I'll let you know. I'll let you know how, uh, how we get on with it. Just to just to bring it back to uh, to rugby and to tie in with something that you mentioned earlier on, you know, players, you know, having a trade or having other other business interests outside outside of rugby, because you know you, you're only ever one injury away from uh, you know from from a, a career ended. Do you see kind of a, a lot more of that from when you started? when you started out 10 years ago to kind of where we are now, are, are, more, are players and clubs doing more to to support players in doing that?
1: Yeah, yeah, 100%. Um, when I started out, you know, I, there, there was nothing really there. Um, there was now, There's every club's got a representative that helps everyone out, keeps everyone kind of engaged. You know, it's his full-time job. And I think the WRPA is doing a good job in terms of that. Um, a lot of the younger boys coming through now are like getting trades or at least trying. Whereas kind of when I was coming through it was like right, well, if I'm honest, it was kind of pulling me out of school to mm-hmm. go and train to be ready to play. Um, and at the time you you know, you as a youngster, that's brilliant because you the first team are calling you in but you're missing school, but what's well, the big deal? You you know, you're going in to play professional rugby. But now it is certainly a lot better. So, you know, I take my heart off to WRPA for that because of the structure they've got in place is, you know, it's a lot better. And don't get me wrong, you still you still got to put the work in, you know, it's not they're not going to just get things done for you. You you still have to get do that do the hard yards. But in terms of having like a selection of things to do and trying to find what your career career path may look like after they are they are very good with because you know as you touched touched on it's not a very long career is it yeah. um, especially when you put it in context to the rest of your life uh so i'm hoping this gin kicks off
0: yeah no <laughs> I, hope, uh, I hope it i hope does too and hopefully there's uh, there's plenty more plenty more time for you to uh, yeah. to soak up a bit of sun and play some good rugby uh the other uh, the other side of the channel sam it's been brilliant yeah. um been brilliant chat to you thanks very much for uh, for joining us yeah keep um let us know when you're settled in. We'll we'll nip over to France. You know, I'll, I'll yeah, get, we'll, we'll get we'll get we'll get on the gins and come and come and watch, yeah, uh, sure watch it. Nice. Um but yeah, thanks. really appreciate you joining us and uh, and best of luck for
1: next season. Yeah, thanks Jed. Appreciate Good it. So. All Podcast Network.